It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. And good afternoon. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle, an hour every Saturday at 2 o'clock, when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left to the far right, and we try to bring some context to the news of the week or a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation. Enough so. Great to have you along here on Talk Radio 77 WABC, the most listened to radio station in the nation. I don't know if we're that exactly, but we're pretty close. Most powerful radio station on the East Coast, at least, and a radio station that has been completely transformed over the last couple of years. We're here from 2 to 3, and then Left versus Right with Curtis Lewa at 3 o'clock. You can listen to us anywhere on the globe on WBCRadio.com, or there's also an app, an Android app, an Apple Store app, that you can um, listen to all of our live broadcasts and also all of the podcasts that are available at the Red Apple Podcast Network. I am at Rep Wiener on Twitter and WienerWABC at gmail.com. I'll say that again at Rep Wiener, which is my Twitter account, and WienerWABC at gmail.com. And the reason I'm doing that is that we have a new podcast that launched this week called The Wiener, the, the Wiener Unplugged. That would not be as good a name. The Middle Unplugged. And we do read some uh, listener mail on that. It's a little bit like the weekend show, just with a little, we let our hair down a little bit in that one. And we read tweets and we read the listener mail. Um, and the first episode dropped this past Wednesday, the middle of the week, and there's going to be coming to you. If you'd like to subscribe to that, we encourage you to do so. We've got Diego and Joe helping on the other side, Kevin supervising things, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, if you'd like to be in on the conversation. Uh, this is a, a heavy kind of week. Um, today, as we sit here, this is the 10th anniversary of landfall of Superstorm Sandy. There were 44 deaths about 70% of the city was damaged in some way. People left without homes that some of them still have not been rebuilt. It was particularly salient and bittersweet for me because I represented Rockaway for many years, and I had just, this is 2012, remember, Super Sandy. I left in 2011 after my scandal. And when people would say to me, do you miss being in Congress, I would say, I really don't. So a lot of the craziness that I went through, I, you know, I think it was good that I was there, plus I – Jordan was not even a year old at this time. But there were two times that I really said that I regret not being there. One was obviously Superstorm Sandy. I went back a lot, but it was focusing on the Rockaways, although it was only about 10, 15% of my district. Resiliency in the Rockaways, jetties and groins, something I worked really hard on. I got a lot of funding to do studies to do it, a lot of town hall meetings, very concerned about closing the hospital down there in the peninsula because I was concerned that in the case of an emergency we wouldn't we'd be too cut off down there. Love the people of the peninsula, love the people of the you know, the most populous barrier island, I think in the world. I mean it's you know, people say, Oh well you shouldn't just you shouldn't live near the water if you don't want to have natural disasters. Well this is a populated this is not like a just a beach place. This is where people have their homes. And so being away, not being there to serve in Congress, I was there every day trying to help out as best I could. At the time, interestingly, at the time I lived in Manhattan, and uh, Hume and I, Jordan was uh, 
barely a year. It wasn't even a year old. We lived on the 12th floor of an apartment building, and me being an idiot, not really understanding natural these types of things, I had stocked the refrigerator. I got everything all ready to go, not realizing we were going to lose power, and also not realizing being on the 12th floor is not an ideal place to be when you have to go up and down the stairs. Obviously, we had far fewer problems than most people had, just losing power We um, and when people lost their lives and obviously lost so much. So that's Superstorm Sandy commemorations. We should not forget that many people at Rockaways, many people in Staten Island are still dealing with the ramifications, and there's a lot more to be done. But the, with the funds I was able to get, they started. They finally started to install these, these groins, these, these jetties, now there's ferry service that there wasn't then, and I still think that the hospital should be reopened on the Rockwood Peninsula, but we're commemorating Superstorm Sandy. Also this week, we talked about in Episode 6, Elon Musk finally took over Twitter. I don't care. What well, You should know, though, as you listen to this, the second largest shareholder at um, at Twitter is the Saudi is the, the Saudis, the, the, the royal family of Saudi Arabia. So the guy who owns it, the primary owner is a Putin sympathizer and the second in charge of the Saudis. And, look, if you don't like it, just don't go there. I don't know. I mean, I'm still there, but I I seem to be getting kind of shadow banned myself. But it's not the end of the world. It's one social media. You can listen to my full views on this. I think they should just shut it down in Episode 6. I tell you, if you are a shareholder of Tesla, this deal is not good for you because a lot of the, the Tesla debt, forgive me, a lot of the Twitter debt is debt against Tesla stock. So the the more that the Tesla stock goes down and the more that Twitter struggles to make money, and they only this year just started to make a little bit of money, um, and the more that Elon Musk fires people, which turns into more debt, that's debt for shareholders. About $11, $12 billion of that whole deal is backed by Tesla stock. So if you have that, I pray for you. Uh, and obviously, uh, speaking about prayers, Paul Pelosi, I know him a little bit. I was a, a supporter of Nancy Pelosi. I was in her WHIP organization, supported her when she became Speaker and Majority Leader. Um, it certainly looks like this was an attempted political assassination. That's what it looks like. Now, we'll find out more. Maybe it's not. I mean, let's wait. Let's let the information come out. Um, but when someone basically says, where's Nancy, just like they said, where is Mike Pence and where's Nancy on January 6th and shows up. It doesn't seem like this was a a random act of violence. It seems like it was politically motivated, and that's – look, I don't want to say the same thing everyone else has been saying. You just can't – we have to be mindful of that people take this stuff seriously. Um, I'm going to talk about the debates a little bit and the election a little bit after this, but you know, when someone is asked on a debate stage, are you going to accept – the results of the election and their fast answers, losing is not an option. Dude, losing is an option. You're running for governor. Losing is an option. <laughs> it's good. That's one of the two options is you losing. So acting like, no, that's not possible. Yes, w- w- elections are won. Elections are lost. The, 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 the republic doesn't stop just because you didn't get elected. But sometimes we have to realize that there are people crazy enough out there to believe that, you know, we got to go kill Nancy Pelosi in order for our political ends to be met. And so – Hopefully, Paul Pelosi, um, Paul Pelosi recovers. And if it turns out that this was a political assassination attempt, then it should be prosecuted that, and we should call it that. But this is uh, this is the home stretch of our midterm elections. I want to hear what you have to say, who you'll be voting for, what you think the issues are. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. This is where we go 
to the um, numbers of the week. The first one is the obvious one. We are 10 days until the midterm elections. We've talked about it a lot on this show, talked about it a lot on 77 WBC Talk Radio. Um, here are the odds, and these are the odds that are posted on an organization called 538.org. I want to say 538. That's the number of votes in the Electoral College. They take, they do a couple of things. One, they take some economic numbers, some foundational numbers. They take polling, they take fundraising, and they try to come up with the odds. And so every day the odds change. They say that right now the Senate is, as as of this morning, 52-48 Democrat, basically a toss-up. So if you want to find out who's going to win, I will pause. Heads means Democrats are going to win. So you can go ahead and flip. The House, um, the Republicans are favored 81-19, and that the most likely outcome is the Republicans win both the House and the Senate. That's a 47% odds. The second most likely is the Democrats control the Senate, the Republicans get the House, 34% odds. And then there is an 18% chance that the Democrats take both, and you can say, well, wait a minute, why would there be a higher chance of that than the Democrats just taking the House or just taking the Senate? Well, the, these numbers are not independent for, from each other. Like you, if if uh, um, Schumer, Hochul do very, very well in New York, that's going to help the House candidates, and the same is true around the country. So if something happens in the next 10 days that improves the chances for Democrats, there's a chance they could take. But, but it seems like the betting is it's a toss-up in the Senate. And a pretty good chance, a solid chance that the uh, House goes to now just that the House goes to the Republicans. Now, I said 81 percent just to give you some context. Election 2016 on Election Day, it was 75 percent odds for Hillary Clinton. So I just want to point out 75 percent, 80 percent doesn't mean that the 25 doesn't happen. (laughs) That doesn't mean that. But what all polling is trying to do is kind of put a little bit of uncertainty certainty around our uncertainty is probably the best way to do it. And this week, two more numbers of the, a few more numbers of the week. If you're asking what the odds are in the Pennsylvania Senate race, it is now 49.5. Fetterman, this is the average of all the polls, 48.4 odds. So that is basically a toss-up. So Fetterman was up as much as 10 points, I remember, in August, maybe even a little bit more. It was never going to be a 10-point race. But it is now, and the most recent uh, um, polls that have come out are a couple of points for Oz. Here in New York, the average of the polls is 56 to 44 Hochul over Zeldin. And um, that would be a, a, a great result for, for the Republicans. That would be a 12-point margin in a state that you would probably expect there to be nearer to 20. And Schumer's numbers are similar. I think they're about 56 38 in his race against an unknown guy. So it seems like 56 is where the number looks like it's headed for. Now, generally speaking, if you're polling over 50, you're going to win because it's undecided going for a person is a thing. Someone that already has a vote, losing it is less common to have happen, especially at this point in the race. Um, And the reason I point out those those last two numbers is because we had two debates that a lot of people are talking about here on 77 WABC Talk Radio. By the way, tomorrow night at 7, Chuck Schumer would be debating Joe Pinion, my former boss, my mentor, Chuck Schumer. He is debating Joe Pinion. 7 o'clock tomorrow. I think that's on Spectrum News, the same way the Hochul uh, race was. 
Um, and they had the, they both, they, the Hochul had debates, Zimmerman, Zimmerman, Fetterman, Oz, Zimmerman is running in New York for Fetterman, Oz, they had debates and there's been an enormous amount of discussion and a lot of hot takes. And to be honest with you, a lot of very wrong takes about the debates, what they mean. And a lot of it turns out to be cheerleading. Um, you know, I like Hochul, therefore I think she won, or I like Zeldin, therefore I think he kicked butt. When we come back from the break, I'm going to talk a little bit more about these debates. And I'm also going to explain the, what, what a mistake that – common mistakes that I think people make when they look at debates to trying to gauge what turned out what, – what the results were for those debates. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. When we come back on the other side, a little bit more about the debates and what I think actually happened – and a little later in the program, if we have time, I'm going to tell you the story of a candidate who overwhelmingly, by consensus, won a debate when he was high on drugs. And this story is involves two, not one, but two WABC hosts. And we'll talk about that when we get back on the other side of the break. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. And welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That's Jimmy Eat World bringing us back in. For those of you who follow the program, we try to do thematic music. And someone finally wrote me last week and told me about Jimmy Eat World has a song called The Middle. And they're like, dummy, why don't you using this? So uh, we got a couple of songs that are about that that are going to bring us back in. But we're talking about the debates. We're talking about the 10 days we have before the election, 800-84-WABC. We're going to leave plenty of time for you guys to get in. And then I told you about... Um, a debate story I'm going to tell a little later about debating on drugs and also not debating about drugs, debating on drugs and how two 77 WABC hosts were involved in a story that goes back, geez, know, 20 years, something like that. So first let me talk a little bit about the uh, Fetterman, the Fetterman-Oz debate. And, you know, I have never seen a debate like I have. I love debates. I love talking about them. I love thinking about them. I love strategizing about them. I love participating about them when I went, participating in them when I was in office. Um, and the the thing that I would caution this is true of the Hochul Zeldin debate is is you've got to always look at debates through the lens of someone who is who is turning into the debate because they're interested in deciding on who they're for whom they're going to vote. I mean, that's not the only thing. Obviously, it's for morale building, and obviously it gives you know, consultants something to put into TV commercials for the last couple of days. But that's really how you should be looking. When you want to say, well, how is this landing? How is it working? And the way that manifests itself in the, in the Fetterman-Oz debate is that, is that I found myself um, completely unsure what I, was, what I was looking at because Fetterman was clearly struggling. Because of his stroke, he was clearly struggling struggling in that he was not communicating nearly as glibly and as smoothly as Oz was. And Oz was the opposite. He he was completely composed, completely used to being in front of the camera, looked great in the suit. As Fetterman looked, his suit was ill-fitting. He, you know, for those of you not following it very closely, Fetterman wears hoodies the whole time and cargo shorts, and he's like six foot 20. He's a big fella. But I didn't. 
and and I was watching it with Huma Jordan was checking in every once in a while, and we we and I didn't know what to make of it. I knew that it was uncomfortable to watch someone struggling the way they were, but I couldn't get my mind, and I still don't. And I want to caution you as listeners: don't just say, "Well, oh my goodness, that was a disaster," because he shows that he's unfit. You never know, and in a moment like this, when anything that looks like a person authentic having an authentic moments, even if they're illness, even if they're around recovering from a stroke, aren't going to strike people in a certain way that makes them more likely to support them because they can relate to them a little bit better. You know, an example of that was, you know, sometimes uh, George W. Bush seemed like he was not winning debates. And people would then respond by saying, I kind of related to the guy, that he wasn't super smooth and he was more pally and that kind of a thing. Um, you know, just, just things like that. And so I, I think that if you believe, and I've heard some people say this in the station, you know, I got, it's impossible to vote for Fetterman. He's incapable of doing the job. It was obvious from the debate. I don't think it's so obvious. Not that I, I'm not sure what I think, but I'm, I know I'm, I, if I were in Pennsylvania, I'd be voting for Fetterman. I'm a Democrat. I believe in the thing, a lot of things he does. Um, and the same is kind of true for the Zeldin Hochul debate. I looked at that entire debate through the lens of my last episode, which is what kind of Republicans would Democrats vote for? And would independents that usually vote Democratic vote for? And why am I looking at it that way? That's the only way Zeldin wins. You can't just yell at your base. And I say yell because that's what Zeldin was doing the whole debate. He was describing New York as this terrible hellscape and we've got to save it and everything else. When if I were giving him advice, I would say, remember who you're talking to. You're talking to Democrats who are frustrated with Hochul, who believe we need a change, but aren't quite sure they can trust you with the keys to the car because they don't want a national Republican yelling about how terrible it is to be in New York. And so we say, well, he nailed it on crime. He hammered her on crime. He beat the tar out of her on crime. I heard Sid say this all week. But that wasn't what he needed to do. He needed to get some of Hochul's supporters to say, you know what, I'm a Democrat, but he seems like he's a reasonable, moderate, decent guy that I can trust. Now, people look at that, and and Hochul, on the other hand, she succeeded somewhat, but not as much as seeming completely incompetent, in grasp, and also separating herself a little bit from the bad stuff and embracing the good stuff. She missed a lot of opportunities to say, listen, I've only been doing this a year. Here's the things I've accomplished. And saying and finding a couple of times where she can step away from the Democratic orthodoxy, kind of for the same reason. Remember, her job is much easier. She just needs to get Democrats to stay home. Now, people have pointed out there are some gaffes. I heard a couple that haven't been mentioned. You know, Hochul said in passing, people love the LIE now because she's repaved it. No one loves the LIE. <laughs> you spend any time in the LIE, if you have, a, you, if you have a, a couple of moments where you're like, wow, this is not so bad today, but no one loves the LIE. And and she also seemed, and people jumped on this, like she seemed to say to, to Zeldin, why are you so obsessed with crime? She's obsessed with crime because it's a big issue. I mean, it's not, it gets blown out of proportion, and it, but it's a big issue. So, I mean, I thought that Zeldin's answer on marijuana was very good, and I've said this before, because I think the Zeldin's missed opportunity there was to listen, the marijuana laws, whether you think they're good or bad, would have benefited by having a Republican voice in there. That's all I'm saying. Not that I would have completely reversed it or whatever it is, but then maybe he missed opportunities to say what to get actual voters to say why it matters that you have a Republican every once in a while in a Democratic room and vice versa. 
And I thought Zeldin completely, not that it matters again, because, you know, he completely blew the answer about about abortion and Planned Parenthood. Would he fund Planned Parenthood? He says, I'll ask Speaker Hasty. I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> That's a value. That's a value that you believe in. And even on those things. And I thought he answered the Trump questions as fine. But the, the main thing that he failed to do is realize who he was talking to. And with all of his angry rhetoric about how bad it is in New York, he forgets that we live here. I never like politicians who badmouth their own jurisdictions. I don't think that's a thing. I don't think that's a smart thing. I think I think you should be forward-looking. You should be optimistic. You should be realistic. But I don't think saying that this is like a hellscape. But so so what did it all wind up? What did it all wind up meaning? I think it probably didn't mean all that much. If you don't, the numbers don't show that there are a lot of people who are undecided. I think that the polls are probably right. For those of you who like remember some of the big polling mistakes that were made in the 2016 election, it does seem like when when Trump is on the ballot, polling is less accurate. But when he's not, for example, the polling immediately after 2020 in Georgia was exactly right. Polling has generally been pretty accurate. I think the polling's probably right. I think it's going to be a good day for Republicans in 10 days and probably not a great day for Democrats. But if they hold on to the Senate, I would consider that a win considering where they used to be. So that's kind of my summary of like how to I I I say the the one overarching thing is I watch these debates and I'm like amazed that candidates are not prepared better by smart political people who say, Lee, you're a little hot in those debates against Andrew Giuliani against you know in the primary you're a little hot in those debates. You can't try not to be that. Now try to seem, you know, think about Mr. and Mrs. Crapalucci on Avenue P, traditional Democratic voters who are thinking about finally giving a Republican a chance because of concerns they have about crime or whatever else, try to make that person feel comforted and safe. And, extend, and he, I don't think he did a particularly good job at that. I think Hochul did what she, what she needed to do. So 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Um, we're going to talk a little bit with Curtis later on about the state of play in the election. We're going to talk about some of his debate experiences and also – you know, there was a baseball game last night. I was watching the hockey game, but I was uh, flipping it back and forth. And um, so let's go to the phones. And a little later, I'll tell you a funny story. First, uh, we've got Sean in Staten Island. Sean, thank you so much for holding on. Hey, you got it, uh, Mr. Weiner. Yeah, uh, just a quick comment. I don't understand how it could be so close, uh, the polling. Um, we need a change. And I'm not speaking as a Republican. I'm independent. Um you got to you got to give someone else a chance. Let their vision kind of work. New York is New York. We could tough it out. I remember the 70s. But at the same time, their policy is not working, even nationally. We could see it every day. I commute to work. I see it in the streets. You got to you got to you got to change it up a little. What's bit. the most no important Sean, what's the most important issue to you on Tuesday, a week from Tuesday? Uh the, the crime, quality of life, definitely. Yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate it, Sean. Thank you for calling. I mean, a lot of people say, I can't believe that it's that close. But, you know, that, this is why that's, this is why we have a show called The Middle, like to try to bring different perspectives. There's a, a lot of people for whom the, the, the very constitutional freedoms that they care about, meaning choice, the constitutional government that we have, meaning what happened in the aftermath of January 6th and still today in an election, these are really big animating issues. The fundamentals are always in midterm elections. The out party, in this case, the Republicans do much better. The, the national head to head, basically it's Democrats, Republicans by one point because of those, uh, that, that a lot of people are saying, you know what? 
I'm not voting that. I'm not voting my near-term pocketbook um, pocketbook issue. By the way, another thing that's I believe holding back the Republicans, and I talked about this on on the Middle Unplugged this week, is for all the talk about the economy and all the talk about inflation as an issue. Even the Republicans haven't talked much about what they would do. I mean, I mean, the the the, the Hochul Zeldin debate was a classic example. The Oz debate was a classic. You know, the, when you have worldwide inflation, when you have every Western state, uh, every Western country inflation. Um, when you have crime all across the country going up, but you also have suicides going up, you have car accidents going up, you have a lot of stuff that seems to be not connected to a specific policy. Um, you need to have ideas of your own, not just throw throw the bum out. But I I, I hear you. I think I think I think there are a lot of Republicans who think um, that this is going to be a good day for them. And I'm I'm you know I'm, I'm not as I'm not as sure as I was when I sat down in this chair back in March. I said this is going to be the biggest red wave I've seen in my lifetime. Now it's going to be relatively close. Um, next, we have Ed also on Staten Island. Go ahead, Ed. Oh, yeah, quick question. Did you ever call and reach out to uh, Andrew's widow, Susanna? Andrew? Yeah, Breitbart. Uh, no, I I didn't. I don't, I don't even know who, that, who Andrew's Breitbart, Susanna, is. Uh, Jay on Staten Island, go ahead, Jay. Yeah, how you doing? Um, I wanted to talk about uh, the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. Um, you mentioned that it was a political assassination attempt. I'm trying to figure out how so. Well, I, you only listen to part of what I said. Part of what I said is we don't know, but it sure there's a lot of evidence so far that appears to be that, that he was targeting her. Um, but we'll we'll find out. Well, what do you think? I mean, not, not actually, why do I care what you think? None of us know. But what is your, what is your point? Well, I'm just trying to figure out because he didn't go in the house with any weapons. He used a hammer that he took from Mr. Pelosi's hand. So, what what assassination weapon was was brought is what I'm trying to figure out. Oh, I, I have no idea what he walked in with, where the hammer came from. I, I don't know. We'll we'll find out. But when look, here's the thing that it's evocative of, and maybe it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, but it's but it's a chihuahua. I mean, the fact is, he's going. He 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 was going in there saying, "Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy?" Just like they were saying on January sixth. Just like they were saying, "Where's Where's Mike Pence? Where's Mike Pence?" If it turns out he's not, and it could be, we could find out inside. But if he was going there to attack the third in line in our constitutional government, looking for Nancy, he didn't say, "Where's Paul?" He didn't say, "Where's Anthony Weiner?" He's saying, "Where's Nancy?" If it turns out it's just random. We'll find out, but there's more and more evidence that's coming out that seems that it's not. But if it is, let's call it Democrat and Republican. Let's call it what it is. If you go in and you're and and you're you're looking for the third in line to the presidency to to harm them or kill them, that's a political assassination. I don't I don't really understand how um how there would be any other interpretation. Chris in the Catskills, go ahead, Chris. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I went and early voted today, and uh, I wanted to kind of make some predictions. I know you and I talked a few months back, and and I had a feeling Pat Ryan was going to beat Mark Molinaro. Oh yeah, you you actually to... you 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 well you intimated that you thought he was going to do be, you know do do very well. Who did you wind up voting for today? I, I Pat Ryan's not in my district anymore, but uh, well, one of the ones I'm not a committee member member anymore. I mean, we could enlighten. I'll enlighten real quick some of your listeners. So, if you're a committee member of, say, Democrat or Republican Party, and you were to openly say you voted for somebody outside of the party, they could bring you up on disloyalty charges and throw you out of your town or city committee in your respective county in New York State. But um, I didn't have the opportunity to vote for Pat Ryan. 
But I will say that Josh Riley is picking up a lot of confidence as a campaigner. Somebody gave me a ticket to his, his fundraiser in my town a week and a half ago. And he, he's good. He's good now. As hey, Chris, Chris tell, first... tell, tell, tell everyone what district that is, what party that is. Just put some context around it. Now, that is the new District 19, and he is a Democrat, and he is running against Mark Molinaro. And that is a, that is a toss-up race. But Riley, I believe, has picked up the momentum and the organization of the Democratic Party in three counties in particular, Ulster, Columbia, and Tompkins, where Riley lives in Ithaca, New York. They have much more uh, organization uh, advantage of the Democrats over the Republicans, much more participation and enthusiasm in the local committees, and the enrollment figures are heavily in the Democrats' favor. And uh, both of those men are uh, not agreeing to debate one another, and I watched both of them debate, and I wouldn't particularly grade either one of them as being outstanding debaters. They're, they're okay. I don't see where they would have apprehension of debating one another, and they could not agree on debate terms. And Josh Riley and his campaign manager told me a week ago Thursday night that, that Molinero was ducking them for a debate. Well, so, Chris, here, here's um, what you can do. That is a good summary. Here's what you can do if you were around and available on Tuesday night. We're going to be doing – we're going to be doing a program here that's going to last most of the night after the polls close. I'm going to be part of the panel. I know Dominic Carter is going to be here, a couple of others. It'd be great if you can call in and kind of give us an update on that district because for the for our listeners, one of the things to keep in mind is we're trying to figure out what is going to happen. And thank you very much, Chris, for calling in again. What is going on this year that benefits the Republicans is that this is a redistricting year. And so there are a lot of people who are running in districts that are unfamiliar and a lot of boundaries of the districts that have been changed to make them more favorable to Republicans based on the state legislatures, a majority of which are controlled by Republicans. And so upstate New York, New York, believe it or not, has become kind of like the epicenter of the conversation of what's going to happen in the House because um, – because we have so our districts got drawn by a special master. It's a long story that we've covered a little bit in the past. So there are going to be some races upstate New York on Tuesday night that may turn out to be the difference between this being a good day for Republicans and an amazing day for Republicans. And we have time for one more call before we go to a break. And we have Danny on Long Island. Go ahead, Danny. Hey, I'm going to bypass the uh, the debate and talk about since you're talking about the uh, congressional seats on Long Island here. Now we had all our districts. Uh, board has changed, and we have no incumbents running for re-election except Andrew Garbarino. Yeah, it's crazy. Zelda running for governor, Swazi retired, Rice retired. So you have all new candidates, you have all new borders, and my district, which used to be Garbarino's, Peter King's district, was changed. They lowered the southern border on the Swazi district, added him into the North Massapequa, Plain Edge, heavy Republican district, which now, is, which now would go again, I guess would go to Santos. So I'm really looking to see what exactly happens here, because not only did they change the, the boundaries, but very rarely have we ever had this many incumbents not running. So well, you have all new people. Danny, give us, give us, before we go to a break, give us a prediction. What, are you in district, what, district five? Which one are you? I think I'm in four now, which is uh, Santos against Zimmerman. I used to be in three, I, which was uh, Peter King's district. Uh, now, now that has been that has been leaning Dem all through the cycle, but now they're saying it's a toss-up. What do you think is going to wind up happening? Well, I, I the, well again the boundaries changed, uh, and that was done by the, the master. And remember, originally they gave Santa, they gave Swazi's district into Westchester, and there was right. an outrage, even part of the Bronx. So I think Santos will win on the North Shore. I'm pretty. I'd be shocked if the Democrat doesn't win in the Merrick South Shore area. Uh, 
Gabarino will win again, and I think the Zeldin district is safe. So I think three out of four will go Republican. There you go. If right. Four out of four Republican, then it'll be a landslide across the country. That's probably. It'll, I think that's probably be, right. I think Danny. Danny, I think you're you're probably right. If that if it goes the way that Danny suggested, then uh, like if they if they get New York four, that's a sign that there really is something going on, not only in New York but around the country. We go to the break. When we come back. I'll tell you a little about someone who had a debate while they were high on drugs. It's the mill with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the mill with Anthony Weiner. Welcome back to the middle. Stuck in the middle with you. Steelers will bring us back in. We're talking a little bit about what we think is going to happen. Callers have given us some really good insights from their neighborhoods. There's <clears throat> problems to tell a story. Now I'm um, having second thoughts because I realized when I was a congressman, I was protected by the speech and debate clause and could not be, I could not be sanctioned for something that I said. But now if I admit to a crime, who knows? And I don't want to go back. Well, let's just say 800-84-WABC. So let me tell you the story. Um, it is now a common fixture in debates for, as the last segment, or sometimes they do it a little bit before, they do something called the lightning round, where they ask people a series of questions. We're now very familiar with it. But what you might not realize is where that was first done. And it was August 16, 2005. And it was a Democratic debate for mayor of the city of New York, 2005. Now, the incumbent mayor was Mike Bloomberg. He was elected, if you recall, in 2001, he had served for about four years. He was up for re-election. And there was a Democratic primary to, re- to uh, defeat him for re-election. And I am going to play you now the host of that debate, the MC, what do you call him, the, the person that was the moderator, the moderator of that debate. And this person is going to, for the first time, tell the candidates that they were going to get a lightning round questions and how that was going to go. And, and if you listen carefully, you see, you hear one of the candidates say, oh, this should be interesting. And you can hear a little bit of a tittering of the audience. But let's see how good you are and see if you can recognize this voice. Well, we're going to try and make this as interesting as possible. I can promise you that much. Uh, where I will ask questions that can only be answered, even for politicians, with the words yes or no. The four of you will be required to answer the question. And the first one goes to Mr. Ferrer. We'll just go down the table until we get to the second question. Is Michael Bloomberg a better mayor than Rudy Giuliani? Oh, yeah. Favoritism in this situation uh, uh, that has created a lack of confidence. Okay, something I got. Something I got. Uh, we left the good part out about that. Anyway, so... Uh, okay, the first voice that you heard, do you recognize that voice? That was Dominic Carter, our very own Dominic Carter, every day during the week here at, uh, at midnight. He's at midnight, right? He's on 12, uh, on midnight. And that he was at New York 1 at the time. And we kind of stepped on the good part of that cut because the th- third candidate was also a familiar voice. But let's see, all right, let's see if you can, re- if, 
you've you've gotten some clue. The first person is Fernando Ferrer. Let's see how good you are at New York municipal politics as we go to another one of these lightning round questions. For Mr. Miller, and here's a uh, tricky one here. Do you like the Yankees more than the Mets? Yes. Yes. Mr. Wiener. No way. No. Only in the American League. Uh, yes or no? Ah, uh, you beat it out of me. Yes. Okay. I mean, that was just an excuse for me to, to build up my baseball bona fides. That was me. I was a, it, so there's the four of us who were running for mayor of the city of New York. Freddie, Freddie Ferrer was the first voice you heard, a guy named Gifford Miller, the Speaker of the City Council. I was a member of Congress. I had been in for a few terms and was running for mayor, and that was uh, Virginia Fields. She was the Manhattan Borough President. And the reason I'm playing these is because you kind of get a sense that authenticity is kind of an important thing. The first qu- the question, Giuliani, was Bloomberg better than Giuliani? Everyone said yes except me. I said, no, Giuliani was better. Um, I say that just because I know that Rudy Giuliani by the way, that occurs to me. That's a third WABC character that comes up in this. And there was, I think we have one final clip, which uh, this one was a little bit unexpected. Let's see how this one goes. Fellow President Fields, if you had the power, would you grant amnesty for undocumented immigrants? Yes. 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 Not all. Yeah, that. That's a no. Sure, that's the only choice I have. So uh, that wasn't the one I thought it was, but that was a good one too. That was a good one too. Yeah, there's one more we have. That was a good one too. That was me, even at the time, saying that Democrats are crazy if they think you should have amnesty. I had an argument with someone. I was, I told him I'm going to play this. He said, "Don't play that. It's going to make you look bad." I'm like, "Why?" She says, "Well, what about all those? You know, it's going to seem like you're anti-immigrant." I said, "Nobody, and I mean nobody, believes you should grant amnesty to everybody." Um, but, anyway, but this is the, fi- the final one of these that I want that I want to play in this stroll down memory lane because it's going to introduce the reason I want to I wanted to raise this subject um, here. That we have one more. Go go ahead and play that one, Rico. Diego. Can you imagine in the future? We know in the past you've done this. Getting arrested as an act of civil disobedience. Yes. Yes. I, I'm going to run the police department. No. <laughs> So that, so that was me. okay. So that was me saying I'm not getting arrested if I'm the if I'm the mayor. The police commissioner is going to work for me. So that brings me to why I'm I'm telling you about this. In addition to giving Dominic Carter a lot of credit, because he says he didn't invent it, he borrowed it from someone else. But I went back to the history books, and that seems. And you can tell by the way it was introduced, it hadn't been done before. So let me tell you a little bit of story about that. If it seems like I seem to be kind of a little bit goofy. Um, there's a reason behind it. Do I, Diego, do I have time to tell the story? Do we have to go to break? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Diego. I appreciate that. Even I, the reason I pause is I'm having a little bit of a doubt whether this is such a great idea. Well, here's the story. So, um, I was not the front runner by any stretch of imagination. I was running fourth at the time. I thought I was going to do pretty well. I was pretty relaxed because I, I was a member of Congress. I wasn't giving up my seat to run. The, the, um, the, all of these guys were better known than I was. 
And but this was a big deal to be able to debate. But not only was it a big deal to be able to debate because of I was getting matching funds as part of the campaign finance laws in New York City. You're required to debate. You have you have to appear at debates. It's one of the things they say you've got to do in exchange for getting money from the taxpayers. You know, I always yell and scream. You got to do debates. You should. In this case, it's the actual law. The day before the scheduled debate, which we're writing so much is writing on this, my form of debate preparation was to get a kidney stone. Now, I didn't know what it was at the time. I just knew that I I have never, you know, if anyone out there has ever had one, I've never felt pain like this. I couldn't stand up straight. And kidney stones are, it's calcium deposits that form in your in your kidney, and your kidney, which is used to dealing with liquid, tries to force it out by contracting and pressing on it. It's just very, very painful. And I was in a hospital emergency room up until hours before the uh, debate, and what they did is a way to kind of relax the kidney and relax me and also to give me some – they gave me some morphine. And I started feeling better. I don't think the thing had passed. I think it was about – at the very beginning of that debate, you can see in these old grainy videotapes, I looked like I'm hunched over as I walked out on stage. Um, but I had some morphine coursing through my veins as I was dealing with this debate. As a result, I came across – I mean, I won that debate, crushed it. Um, and that last answer, you know, was a, was a typical, you know, me. I was just completely relaxed and completely whatever. And, um, what I have not told anyone and, well, I don't know, I think I must have told someone somewhere along the lines, um, was that I was high during that debate. Now, I wasn't like flying and stoned and off my rocker. You can watch the debate. See, I did, I did pretty well. But I, when I talked earlier about what you're trying to communicate in the debate, one of the things I was trying to communicate was that I belonged there on stage. I was at ease there. I was comfortable answering questions. I was not someone, you know, they thought it was a guy named Anthony from Brooklyn. Oh, he's going to come out here and not be able to string a sentence together. And I knew that what I had to do was just be authentic, reasonable, middle class, somewhat moderate. I just knew who I was, but it was made a lot easier by the fact that the other candidates seemed very tense and I seemed very, very relaxed. And so... My advice to Zeldin, if he gets a chance at a second debate, is maybe skip the kidney stone part, but maybe, I don't know, maybe rethink that whole idea about marijuana. And we'll be right back. Finding new ways to make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. And welcome back to the middle here on WABC every Saturday from 2 to 3. And then we have Curtis Lewa coming at the top of the hour for Left versus Right. And please join 77 WABC and Ramsey Mazda as we honor law enforcement officers across the nation on Friday, October 28th, with special guests and commentary. 77 WABC and Ramsey, back the blue, Friday, October 28th. Please join us then. We're going to get back to the calls. I see this cannot be right. Kevin in Kew Gardens, you say you were at that debate in 2005? Anthony, small world. I was at it. I got. I was in Iraq for a year, not long before that. I was a local three at the time as an apprentice. I went there. I remember Dominic. And I talked to you. I have a memory of an elephant. You were outside sitting on a steps with a reporter from the Post, a woman with blondish, kind of dirty blondish hair. 
Do you remember her? That I actually don't. And I I was only I was not. By the way, local three was great for during that campaign. You know, Lechester was in my district, um, and I don't remember that moment. You know, quite literally, I came from. What was it called? Parkway Hospital, right? Was that called at the time? Parkway Hospital. And I I went home, put on a clean suit, and came there. That is remarkable that you were there. Well, Kevin, thank you for – how did I look? (laughs) If you're there. um, You're still there? I am. Okay. uh, I went up to you, and I talked to you. And I have to tell your whole audience, you were very nice. We were very – well, we know why you were chill now, but uh, (laughs) you were very nice. And uh, not long before that, I was at – your office in the black building. I live right next to the black building over a GI bill issue. I was dealing with your office. I was getting screwed on my GI yeah, bill. Well, stuff, I, I appreciate you checking in, Kevin. Thank you so much for your service to our country. That's great that someone was there to, uh, I, I don't have a, a great memory of it. Let's go to a few more calls before we go to the end here. John in New Jersey. Go ahead, John. Fire away. You know, um, as a, um, as a citizen of New Jersey, I could not vote for a Democrat anymore. If I believe they ruined this country, Inflation, I think uh, also um, crime, they're responsible for it because all the uh, all the different laws, especially in New York, that were passed. How could you vote for a Democrat? What just You're some, a Democrat. I'm, you I'm, curi- I'm curious. I'm curious, John. What do you think that the Democrats did that caused inflation when inflation is a worldwide phenomenon? Um, what I think they did, what, what I think they what I think they did is I think they spent too much money, billions, trillions of dollars, and I think that caused inflation. Okay. And the United States is a major economy, and a major economy like the United States, if we have inflation, everybody does. Yeah. As well as yeah. I'm sorry. not pumping oil, not pumping oil. If you don't pump oil and, and um, oil goes up, everything goes up. Well, the problem the, that's I hear that, John. I appreciate your vote. I your vote. I appreciate your calling, and and that's one view. I just want to point out that um, we are actually extracting more oil domestically than we were when Joe Biden took office by about a million barrels. And I would also point out that the expenditures that we had during COVID, a lot of them were under the previous administration. It was COVID. We had to spend a bunch of money. But I I appreciate your your viewpoint. Uh, next, let's go to John in Brooklyn about the debate. Go ahead, John. Hello, uh, I'm with you, John. Fire away. Yeah, um, uh, I think this is Mike. Oh, I apologize. Mike? I, I apologize. I, I read it wrong. Go ahead, Mike. Okay, uh, real quick. I'm uh, uh, for reasons that God only knows. I'm a Mets fan and a registered <laughs> Democrat. That's what I tell people, okay? You and I have the um, same plague. Right. And the, but the thing that concerns me, I'll probably vote Zeldin. I have a serious problem with him with this narrative of like, the first day I'm in office, I'm going to get rid of Alvin Bragg. I'm not there with Alvin Bragg, but he's an elected official. And you get into like a real dangerous territory where you start trying with the macho thing about, I'm going to get him out of office the first day with someone. Okay. He got 17% of the vote, but he's an elected official. And, uh, I just want to know your views, and I'll take my comments off the air. Thanks for taking the call. I appreciate it, Mike. I have a similar, and I've expressed this on the middle before. I have a problem with that as well. I mean, I I live in, in New York County. Bragg got elected in New York County by my neighbors. Zeldin says I'm going to pick and choose which district attorneys I'm going to allow to be in. It's a particular problem for Zeldin for the following reason. This is a guy that voted to overturn the election. So he already has a weakness on that subject of like, you know, kind of thinking that he's smarter than the voters of the city of the state of New York. But I agree with that. I think it's anti-democratic. 
to say I'm going to throw the guy out, particularly since he has yet to articulate. He was asked this in the debate. What's your reason? Is your reason just you disagree with the job he's doing as district attorney? That's not the reason to throw out someone. You've got to show that he did something, something you know, malfeasance. Not just that you 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 should have charged this guy with that and that guy with with uh, with something else. But uh, but I appreciate the call, Edward in Chicago. Go ahead, Edward. Yeah, Anthony, um, you had a canvasser from Marco Rubio get assaulted. So it's, you know it happens on both sides. You got these extremists. Uh, social media contributes a lot to it. We need to have focus studies on TV so that way uh, you have Republicans and Democrats talking at the table across each other. That should be like a primetime TV show. I 100%, Marco, Edward, I 100% agree with you about that last point, that that, and that's part of the philosophy of this program is that, look, I, I don't ever ask anyone to check their ideology at the door or to check their politics at the door. I want people to bring the politics and their ideology to this conversation. I do. You know I'm a Democrat, et cetera. But we also should have an understanding that the way we resolve conflicts in this country is by talking them through, voting, having votes, and whoever gets the most votes, they have policy and they have a loyal opposition. In the Marco Rubio example, I'll let you do your own research on that. That turned out to be not what it appeared to be. Apparently that this guy that got beaten up might have fabricated portions of the story, and it turned out. Anyway, but putting that aside, it's a very, very different thing than to say I'm going to kill the vice president because I don't want him to do his constitutional duty. But I agree with the premise. I agree with the premise that we need more kind of conversation because what is what is violence? What is insurrection? What is, is you know, I mean, all that is is the failure of dialogue. It's the failure of politics. It's I'm in politics because the alternative is that we're fighting each other physically, that we're going into people's homes and hitting them with hammers, that we're climbing up the steps of the Capitol and, and, and saying, let's kill Mike Pence. No. And by the way, I mean, you know, when people say losing is not an option, yes. Yes, Lee Zeldin, losing is an option. Yeah, that's about, you have about, you know, it's going to happen. I lo- you know, I lost elections. You, you're going to lose an election, I think. I mean, maybe, maybe not. If not, Kathy Hochul's going to lose election. Yes, losing is an option. Anytime you run for office, losing is an option, you knucklehead. I don't like that. Oh, it's not an option. Or you vote for me or we're dead. No, vote for me or you get policies that maybe you don't like. I mean, I, I don't remember who I voted for for, for for district attorney. I think I might have even voted for Bray. But he's in. If I don't like the job he's doing, I have ways to hold him accountable. If I have ways to hold Kathy Hochul accountable. This is the most important election of our lifetime. Oh, we hear that all the time, for, for the God's sakes. Every election is important. It's a continuum. As Barack Obama said the other day in a stump, like this is not that, that democracy is not self-actuating. You've got to work for it. You've got to do certain things. But we've got to get out of the mindset that if my outcome, my preferred outcome doesn't happen, it's the end of the world. It is not. I will still be here. We, you know, I'll still be here doing <laughs> for better or for worse. I will still be here. I lost that. I, I won that debate in 2005, but I lost that election. Wasn't the end of the world? I would have been a better mayor than that other dude, but that's a whole other story. Coming back soon, right after the break, left versus right with another candidate for mayor once upon a time, Curtis Lewa.